Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, podcast and editorial meeting for Queston Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. On today's episode, we'll have our open editorial meeting. Uh, It's been a while. I'm happy to have the crew back together again. Let me start by welcoming and introducing everyone. Uh, Charlie's here with us. Charles Jones, always a pleasure. Uh, Melanie, uh, who we haven't had on the show in a long time. Very, very happy to welcome you back, Mel. Brought some technocracy pieces for us to debate today. Uh, And with us, as always, keeping us on task and sounding good, the woman behind the curtain, our producer, Ewing Piazzai. And miracle of miracles, as if it were Christmas Eve, Paul (laughs) Billingsley, there was a question whether you would join us. And, you know, uh, I I would say speak of the devil, but that that has a negative part. I would say, you know, Santa Claus, it's Christmas Eve, you showed up. Paul Billingsley's here with us as well. Uh, uh, eating a bowl of cereal. Great. All right, Mel, let me, uh, I want to start with you, Mel. Paul, if you're going to be eating cereal, you got to mute, man. We can't be having any crunching. This is a crunch-free, it's a crunch-free zone. You can chime in whenever you like, but crunching doesn't count. <laughs> I hope this isn't dinner, by the way. Didn't somebody say he was having dinner and then he showed up and he is, it's a bowl of cereal? <laughs> and we, need to, we need to stage an intervention. <laughs> Separate episode. Different episode. Paul's serial intervention it appears to be tricks. Everybody, is it tricks? Did Being I get it right? an adult is having the ability to eat cereal for dinner and not be judged? Thank you, Russell. Thank you. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. I have Lucky Charms in the cabinet right now. Okay, so no judgment, just concern. Although it's a thin line between judgment and concern. All right, uh, Melanie, as promised, uh, I want to start with you just because you developed a lot of ideas for discussion based on our technocracy vertical, uh, which was your brainchild initially on the site. And we'd like to develop it. So I'm happy to see that you have a lot of suggestions. One uh, of these topics in particular, I'm, I'm really interested in talking about. I have not seen this film yet. Maybe some other people have American meme. It's on Netflix right now. I've seen promotional materials for it. It looks fascinating, right? It's a subject that needs to be unpacked about where this culture, you know, where selfie culture came from, where social media obsession, what the inception was. It wasn't just the technology that enabled everyone to be a celebrity. It was actual celebrities, namely, apparently, uh, and this is what you say is part of the message of the film, Mel, that they give a lot of credit to Paris Hilton, which I hadn't heard before, but that actually makes a lot of sense because she was the first person famously, to be famous for not doing anything. Uh, Kim Kardashian came later, but they were friends. You know, Kim gets a lot of credit, uh, but Paris really developed that archetype. Um, So Mel, have you seen the film? I actually just watched it right before getting on the call, and it starts out with Paris Hilton talking about how lonely she is. Is she okay? I haven't seen her in a long time. Sometimes when you don't see people for a while, like a famous person like that, it's not good. Like I remember like Anna Nicole Smith disappeared for like 20 years. And I was like, whatever happened to Anna Nicole Smith? And then she showed up and she was like just in the middle of a full on meltdown. And soon after that, she died. Well, it's uh, not how's, like, how's Paris these days? It's it's nothing like that. She's more popular than ever. She's got like 50 million followers on multiple platforms all over the world. 
and she's continuing to do her thing. But she was very sober in her interviews about what it was like to have become famous for being a party girl. Um, and yeah. she kind of complains a little bit about the fact that she's she's she hasn't grown up and she still feels like she's 21 years old. Um, and she she's sort of like the reverse um, when she sees all her friends having babies and getting married, she feels envy for their lives. And meanwhile, there's all these other people who follow her who wish they had her life. It's, it's, it's a very superficial <laughs> kind of existence. Um, like her biggest tragedy was her sex tape that came out and she's, she, she kind of cried during that interview. And she's still crying about the sex tape. Yeah. I guess it really, it really hurt her feelings. And you know, it's, I mean, I guess that that's a very, let me, let me correct myself. It's a very it's like, insensitive it's like a way to characterize it. Yeah. Yeah. That's her Monica Lewinsky moment. You know, that really, I guess her. I thought my memory at the time was that there was a fair amount of ownership around it where, right. Or, or am I, am I remembering that wrong? Paul's nodding his head. You're thinking about Kim Kardashian, I believe. I believe. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that there's more than one celebrity sex tape. No, but Kim <laughs> Kardashian like threw a release party for her DVD, and I don't think Paris Hilton did. It's true. Yeah, it's the, the first episode of the Kardashians is about Kim's mom talking about it and and using it as sort of the the foundation for the entire series. Um, Shit not worked. that I watched that show, but but that's that's like why they even became famous in the first place because of these sex tapes. Well, that's why she. That's why Kim became famous was because of yeah. That. Well, no, she was her partner. She was her partner. Well, they knew that's each other, but she wasn't a public figure until the show came. She out. was. She was Paris. Yeah, she was in her crew. I don't know. They rode together. They went places together. They went out together. Yeah, they're the same group though. As remember, Tommy Hilfiger's kids, Goldie Hawn's kid, uh, Quincy Jones' kids, they all went to school in like Beverly Hills or whatever. They're that same vibe lane group. Yeah, yeah, no, I knew they were in the same crew. I knew, I knew. Kardashian, Kim was actually Paris's assistant at one point, or at least that's how she talks about her in this documentary. Which no, 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 right, yes, very true. But her daddy was OJ lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. That's she wasn't being her assistant for the money, let's say. Right? <laughs> she didn't need employment. She, she wanted, wanted a reason, she wanted a reason to be around Paris. Right. So she talks about, and I don't want to linger on this point too much, but it sounds like that is the, the real emotional turning point for her is the, the sex tape, is her characterization like, is that part of a larger picture where her life didn't belong to her anymore? Even those intimate moments didn't belong to her, or was it just reliving the experience of that? She I mean, said, it was leaked, right? She, she this was she not even like a fake felt, leak; it was a real leak. Yeah, yeah. She said she felt really violated, and she felt like she was raped. So there's that, and then they they actually feature a bunch of other um, social media stars, like the slut whisperer. Um, who? I'm not familiar with the slut whisperer. <laughs> it's this guy. Yeah, we need to get on. We need to get on. <laughs> yeah, it, he he's um he's already losing followers actually. Um, so the slut whisperer is a man. He's a man, and okay. he takes he goes to parties and he takes photos 
of girls throwing champagne all over their tits and asses. Um, well, it's a living. And, yeah, and he's he's quite self-loathing in this documentary. How many followers does he have? Oh, he was, you know, in the millions at one point, and now he's just photos to... of champagne on uh, body parts? videos, videos, photos, vines. Um, speaking of vines, uh, they had this woman, Brittany Furlan, and she was really famous for like the biggest vine star when Vine was still. I love Vine, actually. You know, I, I have a lot of skepticism Vine. about a lot of apps and social media in general, but Vine was a great format for comedy. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. and so then she's another one where she became really famous, and it was for a few minutes. Then she tries to audition for real parts in movies and, you know, TV shows in Hollywood. And nobody will take her seriously because they're like, oh, you're that Vine girl. And then they sort Yeah, of but Wilmer Valderrama was doing Vines, you know, like Vine see, was a... Wilmer Valderrama started on TV. And so there's a difference of when you become a meme online and right. then in the real world, they don't take you seriously. So that at least that was the message of this documentary. Right. Well, what about Bad Baby? She started off as a meme. And now, you know, she no one takes her serious. She was nominated for, you know, female rapper of the year, you know? Yes. Yeah, so and I that's just a joke. Female that rapper of the year is a joke. Some they must be just it. giving that shit out nowadays. I just think it's about attitude because this girl, you know, they also do in this Netflix documentary, they do the, the whole history of each of these um, online stars and how depressed and suicidal they were when they were wow. growing up. So this girl, she used to be a cutter, and it just, you know, they create this entire So there's story. part of the film, and, and this is something I've been really interested in for a long time. Part of the film is like a where are they now thing about people who were, um, you know, viral stars. Yeah. I'm asking. Is that is that, is that correct? Oh, no, I don't think it's. No, I don't think that's really okay. what it's about. Because I'm not trying to, like, you know, send our conversation in a different direction, but that's a good movie. That's a good documentary. <laughs> where where are all these, like, you know, internet-famous people now? It's like, you know, yeah. when you, they make movies about, like, oh, lottery winners are, like, child stars. You know, everybody's... Uh, they used to be on VH1, remember? King Batch, who first got his start on Vine and Instagram is on TV shows and movies. There's another guy who uh, started out, I forget his name, but uh, he started out making silly little vines and uh, Instagram videos. Oh, he on Wildin' Out now. I think... Well, but that's uh, I think the game might be a little less fair to women uh, in terms of taking them seriously and allowing them, like, entrance into, like, real Hollywood. I don't you know. know I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's I don't you know what I, I take the whole thing of taking people seriously. It doesn't require you to be taken seriously for you to get three hundred thousand dollars in promotion from Adidas for making an Instagram post about wearing their shoes. So I think the world is changing. You feel me? So now it's like, oh, we started it and I didn't get as rich as my partner got. And so now I'm mad. But 
Well, that's different, though. You know, being, you know, if you people can secure a spot as a brand ambassador or something, if they have right. enough followers, nobody has to take you seriously. But Melanie's trying to say, like, some of these people who were performers, who were on Vine, who actually were comedians, wouldn't be taken seriously when they try to make the transition to Hollywood to get roles or whatever. Although I guess but that's what I'm saying. Now, now you are. Now, if you have a YouTube page, if you have all these things, now that gets you on Saturday Night Live or whatever. Now that the I don't, I now don't that Vine like, has come and gone, memes are a thing. Now that's a way for you feel me. I don't think meme or like selfie culture are anything different than the like digital internet extension of human behaviors that like we've been doing. So like everybody knew that one girl in school who was like cute. And knew she was cute. So every time, you know, there was an opportunity to be in front of a microphone, to be on stage or be at the yeah, head of the class, she was taking it. It was her time in the limelight. You know what I'm saying? Now they can do that digitally. And like, it's something that happens everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's something we all go through. You know, it's something, it's people like that that we all know. And so the extension of that digitally would be selfies. You know what I'm saying? Um, People yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I wouldn't make the argument that these aren't human impulses. I'm just, I'm interested, and I, and I don't even I think, think. I think the first cultural meme that I remember is drawing the six stripes, the three lines, and make then an another three lines directly under it to make an S. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? No, I don't think, I don't remember anyone ever really teaching me that. I don't, you know what I'm saying? But it's something that we all did or we all saw somebody do. So like, you know, the internet is like the extension of that. These memes are just visual expressions, little moments from TV shows or baseball games or whatever that express uh, greater feelings that we all share. So like, I what I don't, I think it's weird how people kind of approach uh, like selfie and meme culture, like like it's something new. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's just yeah. a new application of shit we've been it's doing. It's a new tool. Well, what in we would some ways, in some ways, Charles, it is new in the fact that you can just be famous with with it with a lot less effort than you know you did in the old days. Like you don't need an agent now, and you don't have to really okay. go. Okay, to but I don't think it's. I don't think so. I I, I don't think it's different. It, post it, and then you get hella followers. With, you know, like for a really short amount of time, and then you lose all those followers. And I think the big the big story here is not so much the media; it's it's the loneliness that people are experiencing as a result of of this culture right that's what this documentary is ultimately about is the loneliness that is proliferating and i think it's actually kind of like that um aiming sent a couple of stories as well and the first one is about teens having less sex and i read the story it's on vox and uh, what I had heard or what I had read is is wasn't even mentioned in this Vox article. And it's it's that people are online. They don't go outside. 
right? I don't know if you guys saw that Saturday Night, li night Live. I mean, people don't have sex outside. I mean, some <laughs> well, no, but, I'm just trying to say they don't go outside and meet people. They're not like yeah. meeting people in real life or or they're not interacting. And that's like one of the main differences of this generation compared to any other is they don't go outside. Um, yeah. So how are you going to have sex if you don't actually go and meet in person? I thought it was because and this was the, the first rebuttal of that that I saw. You know, people are having less sex because everybody li still lives with their parents when they're 30. You know, like it's, it's hard to have sex in your parents' house. Well, that's another Maybe. reason. Yeah. But that's also part about that's another thing about going outside. Yeah. It's like it's so hard. That's to completely not true. Yeah. What's that? What's not true? <laughs> you, can, you can have sex with your parents' house. Not everybody. That is true. Or let's say, let's say you can maybe, leave. <laughs> or at least Go maybe the, a room. At least maybe the person you want to have sex with doesn't want to have sex with you at your parents' house. You know what I mean? There, there are a lot of factors. That here. is actually a very valid point. I can, yeah, yeah that, that, that's happened that quite be a number of times. Let me let me, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Your parents might not be worried about it, uh, <laughs> but the person you want to have sex with would rather you had your own spot. I think one of the big reasons that teens are having less sex, uh, I read something last year about how like teens with girlfriends and boyfriends like are um, 60% uh, more likely to be like cyber stalked. So um, they was talking about how like usually teens in relationships share upwards of like 300 text messages in a day. And they constantly letting each other know where they at. And it's, there's this ability to stay in contact with people, you know, puts folks on leashes. And so, like, I know when I was a teenager, it's harder, it's I was harder having, to cheat. So that's why people are having less sex. I was having sex with multiple. It wasn't even about cheating. I, I wasn't necessarily in very many relationships. I was just having sex with a lot of different people as a teenager. And so, you know, and that's, and that's it's harder now because it's possible to do that when you're spending all your time FaceTime in one person. Well, the, the, the premise <laughs> of the Vox article is basically saying that people are more anxious and detached. So that was kind of the premise of that. First of all, how do we even know kids are having less sex? Because let, let me tell you this. Has any kid ever given a truthful answer about how many people they had sex with? I never gave an honest answer to that question. People are yeah. always lying for their own reasons. I know right. And it, it could be one way or the other. Right. I had sex with 38 people. Says, I had sex with two. Also says that right. the masturbation is up, but how would they know that? Yeah, know, but that information but that information is unreliable. The data is skewed, and I'll tell you there why. There isn't the same stigma on like uh, young people masturbating that there that it used to be. Yeah. Like young girls openly talk about masturbating on social media. Young girls own like sex toys now like it's different charlie that's a very that's a very helpful supporting argument for what i'm <laughs> going to say which is <laughs> i think that a lot of good things have happened in the last 10 plus years about like sex positivity right you know like just being kind of more supportive and, and understanding and respecting that young people and people in general are sexual beings right there's not as much shame for women to be sexual. And, and I think that maybe that has led people to be more honest when they answer a question. Like maybe men feel less pressure to inflate their numbers and say that they've had more sexual partners. Maybe women feel less, of, less compelled to change their numbers one direction or another. And people are done lying about masturbating. 
to Charlie's point. Dude, my Perhaps daughter that checked, could explain it. Maybe people are finally telling the truth. My daughter checked me about kink shaming somebody. What so kind of like shaming? kink shaming? Oh, like like, what, like the sexual stuff they were into. You said it was weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, that's true, right? If people weren't shaming you for it, is it kinky? <laughs> Food for thought. Like the point of being kinky, yeah. it's like that's well, the thing. in this new body, gender, sex positive world that these young people are trying to create. You know what I'm saying? Open dialogue and honesty is the way that they go about that. I was a teenager in the 90s, so it's a completely different, like, we, it's weird. We thought we were going to get AIDS and die if we had sex, basically, is what I remember from that. Sex was not a good thing. Sex was dangerous, and you were going to die. Yeah, she didn't explore nothing, like, outside of the vanilla shit, like, as a teenager. Yeah, it's, it's a different world, bro. Yeah, I walked past a sex shop tonight, and um, you know they had the regular stuff, right? Like a, you ain't gotta lie, you know you went in. There's a mannequin with, uh, <laughs> you know, wearing lingerie or whatever, and they have like some vibrators and stuff. And then there was like a there was a a box. It was a butt plug that had like a raccoon tail on it, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Which. I mean, you know, it's not a crazy thing, but I just stopped for a minute. I was like, ah, you know, I mean, I, I get it. You got to get it out, right? Uh, and why not? <laughs> so it serves a practical function, removal. Uh, but I also thought, man, you're going to actually kind of be looking a little bit like an animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that is, that's <laughs> real, full, that's beyond being like a plushie. You know what I mean? Like that's you have a tail now, and it is attached to you, so to speak. Oh uh, yeah, they was working around. They was walking around with them on Pride. Uh, well, weird. I mean, like I said, I, I'm I'm happy to see that uh, we've progressed and we've stopped shaming people for their interests. And I like the phrase "kink shaming." I think that's a good one. Maybe I'll use it, but I just don't so, hear that much kink so shaming. If, so if we've progressed, then you know. So besides kids not going outside or you know constantly being on social media why aren't they having sex do we i mean i i understand the vox article had a few theories but as a as a 90s teen we was categorized as like hypersexual you know what i'm saying and these kids are our kids like from the ages of whatever teen up until now i got a 22 year old daughter you know what i'm saying so they seen us. They seen our lives. They kind of, in some cases, grew up with some of us. You know what I'm saying? So, um, like, you learn from your parents' mistakes. It's why you don't see many crackheads walking around. It's because those were our parents. Well, so I actually just read a book about celibacy. Yeah. And, and this book was published this year, I think in August. And the woman that wrote it, said that she became celibate because she just wanted to clean up her life. But then she found out through a lot of different statistics that the next generation has been choosing celibacy more um, for, you know, the all kinds of reasons, whether it's disease or, or just trying to not get in as many messy emotional situations as maybe their parents did. So um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that it's it's becoming a celibacy is actually like a another another kink another choice that yeah. people are making. 
I mean, I, I have to say very honestly right now, I am very, very skeptical about these reports because they sound like every kind of hysteria that teens, uh, you know, like anytime there's a headline, it's like, did you know teens are doing this and teens aren't doing yeah. that and teens are doing this wrong. And when I was a kid, you know, it's like, oh, teens are giving too many blowjobs and now kids are doing <laughs> this. You know, it's like, and it's because of the internet and it's because of rap music and it's because of comic books. And like anytime there's like a hysteria, around the behavior, especially the sexual behavior of young people. And we try to blame it on some something that's popular with young people. I'm just like, I can't buy into it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying that like people at Vox are lying or these studies are wrong, but I just, it just like seems too much to me, like kind of just hysteria in the same line as we've heard before, as, as, as Charlie mentioned, you know, our generation is criticized for being hypersexual and uh, you know, I don't think that as a species we're going to die out. I'm not. I'm not worried. You know, I feel like young people will figure it out, and I don't want to be part of the chorus that is like, if these kids would just put down their phones and start having sex, everything would be okay. You know, not that that's <laughs> not that that's the chorus, but you know what I mean. Like, what do we want from them? Like, just let young people be. Like, I don't care. Do you? You know what I mean? Like, you want to masturbate? You want to go on social media? You want to have sex? Want to have less sex? Like, I don't think it's, I think it's like a talking point more than anything. I don't think it shows any like meaningful social change. That's my opinion. And no, definitely. Yeah. I always feel like that though, with every, every like poll, you're like, who did they ask? And yeah. is that person like pulling your chain and like, oh yeah, I did that. Knowing yeah. they didn't do that. But yeah. I think why I I was interested was because I had seen data on how trends have changed significantly since smartphones were developed 10 years ago. Like since, since everybody got one in their hand, all kinds of stats have changed on the way young people are just living in the world. And, and I'm not concerned like old lady, like what are these kids doing today? I'm just more interested in, um, what are how are they seeing the world and what how do they want to shape it and um and i guess going back to this documentary on netflix paris is actually she's making um a digitized version of herself so that people can just come and hang out with her in virtual reality nice and, and in my i mean this is this is shit that I think about all the time. So I just, I'm really fascinated by it also because of climate change. Um, I, I always put these things together of, you know, if people are sitting in their boxes and their lives are all lived online, maybe it's preparation for the fact that our physical environment may soon just be water. And I dig go- it. I, I actually feel that there is a connection between these two things, but it's a little <laughs> darker than your connection, which is okay. like, you know, it's like, oh, like birth rates are down, like people stop having sex, but it's like, yeah, but is that like, isn't the problem that there's too many people? Isn't like the real issue with climate change doesn't really have to do with like carbon emissions or, you know, that we eat too much beef or whatever. It's like really just, there's just like too many people, you know? So um, not that we need to start planning to have less people or have like a one child policy or something, but maybe this is like a biological imperative that like 
you know, in order to save the species, because we can't live on any other planet, it's the only planet we have. A lot of times when we talk about environmentalism, when we talk about human impact on the globe, we say like, oh man, like we're destroying the earth, we're, we're destroying the mother earth, you know? Uh, and, I, you know, I, I think, you know, earth's gonna be fine, right? Like Earth was here long before us. It's gonna be okay, here right. long after no, yeah. us. Earth what we're actually doing, hold on, hold on. What we're actually doing is making Earth uninhabitable for us. And a lot of right. times there's like some human arrogance wrapped up in environmentalism that overlooks the fact that like the most important thing is that like we keep the planet as a place where we can all live. And I think, you know, in some ways the tide has turned and that that is what people are concerned about when they talk about climate change. But like what's actually damaging the planet now is not like, you know, uh, meteors hitting it or anything. It's us. Our species has become so successful that we're just like running out of resources to mine. And um, it, it, and I think that there's a direct relationship. And I think this is borne out by data. And, and this is not just a theory that I'm pulling out of the sky between the amount of people who are on Earth and the damage that we're doing to it. That's all. And maybe if we if people are having less sex and people have less babies, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that's what we should do, but I mean the hysteria surrounding this observation or speculation that young people are having sex anymore is like, well, maybe they feel like uh, you know maybe there's a biological imperative there. It's a thought. That's all. Uh, but I agree. Maybe sometimes you don't. You shouldn't always be able to get a mango. Okay. <laughs> Mel, I want to. Uh, we're getting towards the end of our time, but I, you, you introduced me to a phrase, something I've never heard of before, called dataism. I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, That's how I pronounce it. Dataism. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of dataism, which is, of course, unrelated. But you know, I'm sure there could be some right. data, uh, like A T A. Uh, yeah, I mean, Melanie can, uh, can explain it. I don't know anything about it, but from what I understand, and, and these are your words, Melanie, it's a religion that celebrates the growing importance of big data, which is, I mean, I'm more worried about that than whether kids have sex or not, to be honest, because I, th- I think they'll be able to figure it out. But if we start worshiping data... Uh, we already worship data. Are you kidding me? We're worshiping data right now. Google loves are we? us. We're oh. in a Google Hangout. This is data, bro. <laughs> that's all. That's what everything is. It's being everything's being like, broken down into to zeros and ones as we speak. Our, our entire lives are are being categorized, and it's easier and easier to advertise to us. So there's this um, philosopher. He's a, a futurist. Um, his name, he's Israeli, and he wrote a book about this in 2016. Oh, I know this guy. Is this the guy that wrote Sapiens? Um, is it the same guy? His last name is Harari. Harari, Yuval Harari. Yeah, yeah, I know this guy. He's written a few books. Very smart guy. Yeah, he's cool. I like this guy. Yeah, yeah, he's um, cool. The first book just... was Sapiens. It was just a short history of yeah. things on this planet, and then he moved into technology Sapiens is the one that I read, and the other ones I haven't read, but he has a lot of great theories, which I'm sure you're going to expand on, about uh, how data affects our decision-making and our identities. Uh, he's he's very smart, very cool guy, but go ahead. Well, so, so he gave a TED Talk recently about 
um, just this this idea of dataism is what Silicon Valley is is built on, and it's what Charles was talking about. Is there's this very tiny one percent that's basically making all of the decisions for the rest of us, and we're getting further and further into this more technological type of reality. Um, so. Um, his talk, the TED talk, is um, just how fascism is directly correlated with all of these social media platforms. Um, so the new president, which I think you guys already talked about a few a few podcasts ago, but the new president that was was elected in Brazil, Bolsonaro. He, um, you know, he infiltrated social media, just like the Trump organization. And so um, fascism and social media and data are all sort of interlinked. The more you read about it, the more it makes sense, because um, media is the direct, you know, connection to the people's minds. And so you just you you control the media and you control everything control the government, you control the corporation. Yeah, but wasn't that true when it was just newspapers? Yes, exactly. Because I think that um, that phrase I was trying to quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it was basically a fascist that said that. Okay, and this is this is the other thing, too. When but he I definitely controlled the, the media. Talk, when I was watching the TED Talk, too, he was defining what fascism is, too, because that word is being thrown around a lot more. And I know that I misuse it frequently. So that was one of the reasons I was starting to watch this video, so I could understand better, like, what exactly is a fascist. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I memorized it. Um, but this whole movement, I think is something worth paying attention to um, because this guy is getting invited to all of the big events in Silicon Valley. People absolutely love him, even though he's telling them that what they're doing is going to basically break our democracy. Well, so is it, is it safe to say that dataism is a phrase that Harari uses to criticize uh, the way that data is, is used and worshipped in society now? I mean, there aren't people who call themselves dataists and say that's their religion, right? I don't know if that's really what it is. He's the yeah. one, he, there's, it was a New York Times writer that actually coined the phrase, and then he wrote about it in his book and called it this, you know, it's a form of a religion or a philosophy um, I'm not sure if there's anyone out there that says, I am a dataist, if you ask them what their religion is, but yeah. maybe there are enough weird people out there. Maybe it's another form of kink. Yeah. yeah. Um, Believe it, we could put a data butt plug. <laughs> yeah. Just for instance, uh, just throwing ideas out there, you know. <laughs> the data butt plug yeah. with the tail. Uh, I think that fascism is worth revisiting on a future show just because, as you say, it's such a, a I think overused term and a lot of times we just yeah. use it just to mean like like politicians we don't like instead of fascism we should be talking about whether baby it's cold outside is actually about sexual assault but unfortunately that's gonna have to wait for our Christmas episode or a future episode 
um, because we've been here for a while, folks. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming on. Charlie, always a pleasure. Melanie, it's been a while. Thank you for leading us through this conversation. Paul, thanks for uh, sharing your cereal with us and reminding us that being an adult means eating cereal for dinner and not being judged. Even though Charlie said that, you were really... Uh, and thanks as always to Eman, our producer uh, thanks for coming out guys tune in next time when we may or may not be discussing whether baby it's cold outside is about uh, creepy rapey behavior alright thanks a lot everybody Till next time quest on this episode of quest on media's margin call was produced in Richmond California